X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith in Portland, Oregon. It's Tuesday, June 9th. Today, back in the day, June 9th, 1854, Special Counsel for the U.S. Army Joseph Welch appeared before Senator Joseph McCarthy's hearing, broadcast on live television. McCarthy had attacked a young member of Welch's law firm, Fred Fisher, as a communist due to Fisher's prior membership in the National Lawyers Guild, the nation's first racially integrated bar association. Welch was outraged. Have you no sense of decency, sir? At long last, have you left no sense of decency? At the conclusion of Welch's challenge, those watching broke into applause. Edward R. Murrow and Fred Friendly's TV coverage of the hearings and Welch's challenge of McCarthy changed the trajectory of the Red Scare. And that coverage greatly contributed to McCarthy's decline in popularity and his eventual censure by the Senate the following December. Multiple movies, including the recent Where's My Roy Cohn, a quote by Donald Trump, describes the backdrop to this exchange. Attorney Roy Cohn served as chief counsel to McCarthy. Cohn went on to become a leading mob attorney, was Donald Trump's lawyer and advisor, and once claimed he considered Donald Trump to be his best friend. Today on The Local, we're focused on the runoff for city council position two between Dan Ryan and Loretta Smith. You'll hear from both Dan and Loretta, specifically on protest, police reform, and how we should use the current moment. First up, it is today's Quick Six Local Rundown. Police Chief Jamie Resch announced on Monday... She is stepping down. She has asked Lieutenant Chuck Lavelle to become the city's new top officer. What PPB has not done publicly is stand up and say we will be the start of the change and take a step towards that change. Yesterday, I called Mayor Wheeler and I asked him to support me and to support the Portland Police Bureau in being the beginning of the change that this city needs. I believe this change starts with trust and it absolutely must come from the heart. I have asked Chuck Lavelle to step into the role as the chief of the Portland Police Bureau. And for those of you that know Chuck, I don't need to explain to you why. Lavelle, hired as an officer in 2002, will become the fourth African-American to lead Portland's Police Bureau. <sighs> to say this was unexpected would be an understatement. Um, I, I told Chief Resch uh, over the last few weeks that I would do everything in my power to help her through these challenging times and that um, I'd be at her disposal to help lift her up and help her be successful. Um, This is gonna be hard. I don't have any illusions about that. But meeting every day at Revolutionary Square and marching into downtown Portland, uh, standing up against injustice, that's hard too. A sudden change in leadership comes as city police are under pressure for their handling of massive demonstrations across the city. We will, of course, continue to follow this story. Portland now has its eighth police chief since 2010, changing almost one a year. Those can seem like major changes, but recognize some of the analysis we'll want to do is that every time a chief leaves, they also leave a chance to see through any major changes they're working on, and they also send a signal to the rest of the bureau that a shift sergeant will probably outlast the chief. Last week, Portland Public Schools announced it's going to end its contract with police to have school resource officers in its building. The money and Mayor Wheeler announced on Monday that he would announce today further financial and legislative items to change the Portland Police Bureau. Joanne Hardesty announced that there would be a defunding of the gun violence reduction team used to be called the gang enforcement team and the transit police unit. 
Joanne Hardesty also says she's now pushing for $4.8 million for the Portland Street response. That's the new unarmed agency trying a new approach to public safety. Wednesday is the vote to approve the entire Portland budget. This is all happening in the midst of the coronavirus and in the midst of the protests. Minneapolis, of course, just had a majority of their city council vote to disband their police department and start from scratch with a new agency. I asked Chloe Udaly on social media, do you think it makes sense to delay the budget vote until a move like Minneapolis had been evaluated? Chloe Udaly responded, and I am quoting, no. We have to pass the budget now as it goes into effect July 1st. The kind of changes Minneapolis is making aren't contingent on the budget moment, and they've put in two years of work with this community to get to this moment. We can make some significant changes on Wednesday, and then we need to get to work on larger reform slash transformation. This includes action at the state and federal level as well. Joanne Hardesty weighed in, and I am quoting again, with the reforms I and my colleagues make on Wednesday, we will be light years ahead of Minneapolis. I anticipate they will be in litigation for years before they see any real change, end quote. I suspect we will be following up on that. Your daily dose of coronavirus data. The Oregon Health Authority reported 114 new cases. That's the second day of significant increases in Oregon, largely related to localized outbreaks. 61 of those new counted cases identified in Lincoln County. That's the Pacific seafood outbreak. Oregon is still one of the lowest states in the country in terms of number of cases per 100,000 residents. Another piece of data, how much are we moving around? How much have we reemerged from our homes? According to COVID19.healthdata.org, the point of the most staying at home was the beginning of April. Mobility was down almost 50%. In mid-May, it crept up a little bit. It was down 39% from average levels. And now it's crept up to about 31% below average levels. We'll see what happens to those numbers if Multnomah County reopens on the 12th as planned. Another top Portland brunch restaurant is calling it quits, Trinket. The Cesar Chavez Boulevard restaurant known for its veggie hash and duck egg Benedict will close permanently. Trinket joins Arletta Library Cafe and Helsers among the Portland neighborhood brunch spots to call it quits. According to Eater PDX, Trinket was hamstrung in part by the restaurant's 970-square-foot space, making it nearly impossible to separate customers by six feet. And with breakfast food having short lifespan, you don't want to eat two-hour-old eggs Benedict. Takeout was, well, a no-go. Multnomah County awaits notification if it will be granted Phase 1 reopening status by the governor. You can find Multnomah County's reopening plan on their website at multco.us. Thanks, by the way, for the listener who asked for that information. There's a link on the homepage. In neighboring cities, Oregon City's mayor is under fire after social media posts downplayed police brutality against black Americans. During an emergency meeting the city's commissioners on Sunday, the mayor of Oregon City was criticized for social media posts. For several days, residents of the city have been demanding a response from Mayor Dan Holliday. Holliday had written on the Nextdoor app that a small number of black people were killed by police. He gave no time frame. He wrote in the post, and here is the takeaway, quote, that is hardly an epidemic, end quote. As of Monday, about 200 people had joined a Facebook group supporting a recall effort for the mayor. Meanwhile, across the river, protesters renewed scrutiny over Clark County Sheriff's Office decision to adorn its vehicles with the Blue Line American flag stickers, the symbol associated with a thin blue line and Blue Lives Matter. The Vancouver chapter of the NAACP and the League of United Latin American Citizens have condemned the symbols as insensitive political statements. In the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, the Blue Line flag appeared alongside Nazi and Confederate flags. Recently, Multnomah County and the Portland Police Bureau have both drawn criticism for associating with the flag. Last January, a black former Multnomah County worker sued the county after she complained about the flag in county offices and was subsequently harassed by co-workers. The county settled for $100,000. And from the Department of Sunshine and Rainbows, Portland Pride 2020 is going virtual. 
Like so many events around the world, Portland's Pride Festival has moved online because of coronavirus concerns. Pride normally, of course, features a festival on Portland's waterfront and a large parade through downtown. This year, the virtual festival begins by sharing online videos on the theme, What Pride Means to Me. There'll be performances by area artists, there'll be talks by officials, and interviews with members of the community. Videos will stream from 4 to 6.30 p.m. on Saturday, June 13th, on the Portland Pride Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube accounts. You can search Pride Northwest. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray FM wants listeners to know about Snack Block Portland, a community resource and support for rallies, protests, community events, vigils, and more. This Tuesday, June 9th, from 3 p.m. to 1 a.m., Snack Block Portland is offering a day of rest. Portland mothers are going to hold space at Revolution Hall, the Justice Center, and Pioneer Square, and sit in solidarity at those spaces of protest. Snack Block says, we see you in the streets demanding justice and reform. To honor your time and commitment, we would like to give you a day of rest. They will not be marching, but rather will be standing guard in thanks for your sacrifices, and will also raise awareness for Portland-based organizations, Equitable Giving Circle, Black Parent Initiative, Black Resilience Fund, Race Talks, and Handwritten Revolution. Find out more on Instagram at SnackBlockPDX. That's S-N-A-C-K-B-L-O-C-P-D-X. Here's Emily Gilliland on What's Next. Thank you, Jefferson. Dan Ryan, candidate for Portland City Council Position 2, is back to talk with Jefferson Smith about his reflections on the protests, how the city government is showing up, and where he can make a difference. Dan, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, good morning, Jefferson. It's a pleasure to be on the phone with you. Congra- I first of all need to say congratulations. You were in one of the more hotly contested uh, city council primaries, I think it's fair to say, in Portland history, and you're still in that primary. I am. You know, I there were 18 of us, and now there's two, and I learned so much from everyone that ran. It was actually a wonderful civics lesson for all of us, and I hope for the people that tuned in. And no one knew how it was going to turn out, so I'm uh, I'm grateful and honored to be in this moment of time. Now, the timing of this interview, candidate interviews, I mean, you've got a, a busy schedule. You're not knocking on doors, but you're raising money, you're doing Zoom calls, and I'm still curious about, and I think people are still sort of curious about the uh, architecture of a campaign in the middle of a, of a global crisis. But off top, i got to ask, if, if Loretta wins and if Mingus Maps wins, we have a chance to uh, have the, a majority, not only majority people of color, majority black city council for the first time in this city's history. There are a lot of cities in the West Coast who haven't done that before. And by the way, it wasn't very long ago when I think Charles Jordan was the only African-American member of the city council in the city's history. I, I don't know the best way to ask this question. Why should people vote for the white guy in this race? Well, I'm definitely here to talk about why I am the right person at the right time. And I represent um, a lot of collective experience as well. So we also have the opportunity to we're going to have a majority. We, we probably could have a majority minority um, team of five. And in that, I hope there's a person that's not a career politician that um, really doesn't know how to compare campaigns before this because I've, I'm not a person that's been campaigning a lot in my life. But we have a chance to bring in somebody with rich, deep life experience that includes, you know, being HIV positive and being part of a pandemic themselves uh, in this, in, in learning how to be disciplined and move forward and do that tough thing, which is what we're going to be talking about, which is don't behavior change so that we can 
move forward and survive. So I think this hometown person that came home um, is ready to serve on day one, and I'm excited about that. I do want to ask, there is a moment right now, well, even before I ask, how would you characterize this moment? And I don't, I mean, the last six days, I mean, is, is there anything in your life that you can relate this to in order to give some, I don't know, perch from which to sit to understand and have some perspective? I think in my life, it's that you just accept good news when it arrives. You seize the moment when it, it's here, and we're having one of those uh, times. Uh, the fact is this has been going on for a long time, but after everyone being basically um, holed up with COVID and then watching this televised, this horrific incident, just allowed people to find their voice and having it youth-led, having it led by youth of color, it's very inspiring and people are tuning in like never before. And so we just have to seize the opportunity and turn turn the photo ops and the emotions right now and some of the reactions into some steady, methodical action going forward. What is the most radical? And you might not characterize as radical. It might hurt it if you did. But nonetheless, I'm going to ask the question that way. What's the most radical police reform? And that could include some measure of shifting police budget to other services or creating a new force. Maybe that's a spoiler alert. What's the most radical proposal that you would be in favor of, particularly one that would differentiate you from other candidates, either in your for your seat or just other city councilors? Well, sometimes what's uh, pragmatic and, and necessary is actually radical. I, um, from afar, because my experience as elected official was that as being the chair of the Portland Public School Board, and when our big contract every uh, couple of years, every three years, was with the Portland Association of Teachers, I've always, when I observe City Hall, I've always been confused why when the police contract comes up, there seems to be only dialogue about the transactional um, compensation issues. And yet I have never witnessed enough dialogue on the relational practices. So, and I equate that to one of the school board because I really pushed on how we could actually expedite our transfer process of teachers so we would be with the rest of the market, if you will, surrounding districts so we could get new um, talent um, into our schools. I also, we had dialogue about the fact that the seniority clauses in the contract made it difficult to keep teachers of color who are tended to be younger and newer on the in the in the teaching uh, part of the Portland Public Schools. So I think that it was so important to have those relational dialogues before we got into the transactional compensation. Because once you get into the compensation dialogue and then when that is uh, satisfied, if you will, with both parties, people, you know, it's done. And so I think we just have to really seize the upcoming negotiations in a way that we've never seen before and really look at language change. We have a lot of mindsets that we have to that we have to change. Just the fact that we use the word force is bizarre to me. This is about public safety and what's the holistic way that we look at public safety. And of course we will talk about, and we must do, increased trainings to um, be able to deal with people. People like my brother who was on the streets for five years and passed away in a public restroom because of his severe mental health issues and he um, he had a lot of bad incidences with police and they just didn't have the de-escalation skills for the most part on on how to really 
have the trauma-informed practices to deal with people like my brother. So training and better language are, are useful and important, and I do not want to cheapen them. They are also answer. Oh, the better language is a little is is new. I haven't said, I heard that exact thing said. Training is something that I've heard said. It, it was it has been the go to answer for a Democrat running for any uh, for any office in Oregon and Portland. Police reform has come up, and then that has been the case since Aaron Campbell got shot. Let me ask this one: Would you be? And I don't mean that to cheapen it. It's it is, of course, very important. Uh, would you be in favor though of maybe this? of a third force, not just an Air Force or Marines, but a Coast Guard, a, a new force, it might not even call it force, in Portland, that and that would mean you would be taking some money away from the police department budget, maybe taking some money away from other budgets as well, that was a first response team that was trained in mental health, might or might not carry a weapon, might or might not have a weapon back in their car, but they didn't keep on their holster, was certainly did not wear military garb, and whose expertise was de-escalation and dealing with people on the streets and not and, and not thinking of them as crime fighters, but as problem solvers, as crime avoiders. Is is that an idea whose time has come, and what's your view? Uh, yes, and I think that it could be holistic in general, that it's the public safety system and that it incorporates that body as well as what we know today as our police unit. And the police unit becomes radically reformed so that they are more responsive to the people in 2020 that are their neighbors. And I think we have to also really, again, look at the people on the streets as our neighbors, not as um, citizens or civilians. Um, We have to get over this us and them. And I know there's been a real push for more police to people part of the public safety net uh, to be residents, so they really do know um, their neighbors. I know when I was growing up, it was not lost on me that some of my coaches were also members of the police force, and that helped. What's next for you on the campaign? I just want to say that um, we have to continue to really um, experience the love that's coming from these youth-led people of color leaders. I'm so inspired by it. You should be too. And we need to listen to them and support them and lift them up at this time. That's probably what I will leave you with because I know that's what's given me hope right now. And at times like this, we need hope. Dan Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time. You're so welcome. I look forward to our next conversation. Loretta Smith shares her experience, vision, and recommendations for change with Jefferson Smith. You can find her new policy proposal on public safety on her Facebook page at Elect Loretta. All of our candidate interviews in their entirety, Loretta's full interview is 40 minutes, are at xraypod.com and on your favorite podcast platforms under X-Ray FM's Vision 2020 Candidate Interview Series. Right now, we have been in the middle of a historic election in the city council where there is a chance to change four out of the five seats city council, including the mayor's office. There's also a likelihood at this point, certainly a very good chance for there not only to be a majority of the council as people of color, but even a majority of black city councilors. That not only be the first time that happened in Portland, I believe we only had our second African-American, our third African-American city councilor two years ago. This is happening at the same time as the global pandemic. It's happening at the same time as a historic conversation around racial equity and the police. And right now we are honored to be joined by Loretta Smith, former county commissioner and current candidate for the city council. Loretta, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I am well. 
Yeah, yeah, it's kind of um, tough days out there for, for a lot of folks, but um, I'm encouraged and inspired that we, we're getting on the right track. So today you released, <laughs> a, it's, it's a big day, okay? It's, we're talking on a Monday, and right. you're in the middle of the city council race. You uh -huh. have been talking about police reform. You've been talking about racial justice for more than the last few weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell us what's been, give us a window to your thought process and your sort of workflow over the last, I don't know, 72 hours or a week. How's that been going? It's, it's been going good. We've been trying to figure out um, the, the, the entire um, committee to elect Loretta Smith. We've been trying to figure out what can we do around uh, justice and police accountability? How can we make a difference in what's happening on the ground right here in Portland right now? And um, I think people would be looking to us to see what kind of ideas we have. Yeah. As a mother of a son that I raised here in Portland, who's a black son, um, I'm looking through a different lens. Um, I'm looking at if something happened to him, what would be some of the barriers and things that I would want if what happened to George Floyd happened to my son? Um, I'd want the ability to be able to say to the police department, you put your son, you put your knees in, in my son's back, I need to be able to sue you for that. And at the current um, time, we can't. So I've been asking, I released a, a package that would give um, the city of Portland uh, direction to have our government relations fight to take those um, qualified immunity uh, protections off uh, police officers, because right now you can't sue them because they're protected. And so if you, what has to happen for your proposal to go through? Does it just have to be voted by the city council? Is there something that has to be done by a well, court? They, I mean, these are, these are some of the things the legislature, the Oregon legislature would actually have to remove the um, qualified immunity. One of, the, one of the things that you could do on the local level without any help, you could indemnify uh, their rights if, say, a police officer was convicted of a particular uh, a uh, crime against uh, someone, then we could take those rights off on a case-by-case -case basis. But I'm saying we need to take the whole thing off. We need to make sure that qualified uh, immunity is, is done away with. We also need to make sure that um, we redirect parts of the police bureau's uh, funding. And so my idea is to take away 20% of their, of their budget redirect those funds to communities of color and um, have them empower and being and engaged in, in making their lives better. And then the third thing is do away with uh, tear gas, uh, rubber bullets, uh, long range acoustic um, kinds of things in, in, in their arsenal to, to be able to, to do crowd control and um, actually put a uh, ballot measure the fifth thing would be to put a ballot measure on, on the 2020 November uh, ballot that says you have to have in the charter a citizens review committee of all the excessive force stuff that goes on in, in policy so that that's in the charter and it's not um, discretionary whether or not we have a oversight committee. 
So I want to make sure that I have these right. So the first would be to do away with qualified immunity. There could still be indemnification. That means the state could still have an insurance policy, essentially cover something that a police officer was sued for, but would allow for a personal lawsuit by someone who was caused harm to. That was the first one. Right. Second one I heard was a 20% cut to the police department budget. And that right. being directed to communities of color. Say more about that. Say more about the kind of project that would fund and the kind of thing that would take away from the police department. Well, it, they would have to determine what's going to be taken away. We just take 20% off their budget. And so if there were programs to help African-Americans uh, for a home ownership, uh, for uh, folks who are entrepreneurs to give them loans, to uh, help with uh, at-risk youth, and programs that serve them with wraparound supports to help them to complete high school. Those are the kind of things that make a difference in a young person's life and you know, opportunities to go to uh, college and have a higher education. I would much prefer to spend those dollars to help uh, those impacted com- communities um, than to leave it in the police budget and they're harming our community. Third thing you said, that I wrote down was to get rid of tear gas, rubber bullets, Mm -hmm. and what I wrote down as sonic blasters. Why do you think those things things are not needed and how should police uh, disperse crowds if in fact they should disperse crowds? Well, there there are ways to, you you have to put in de-escalation tools and you have to use your verbal skills and de-escalation skill sets to deal with people because people for the most part, what I've seen, they want to uh, peacefully protest. And there's a small group of bad actors who are out there trying to um, masquerade as, as, as someone else. The Black Lives Matter folks, the young, young men who are out there who, who are protesting, they're protesting um, peacefully. The other groups uh, like the NAACP and, and other people who are just you know, fed up in this community who want to do something, they're out there peacefully protesting. And I think we're getting bombarded by the the folks who were getting the early attention. Um, And some may call them anarchists, but they were the ones who were, who were upsetting the whole apple cart and looting and, and, and tearing up property. I don't, I don't believe in that. I think there's folks out there who are doing the right thing that we need to uh, hold them up and improve them and engage them in a way that it doesn't require, you know, rubber bullets to get them out of the way. You know, when we put that curfew on Jefferson, that really angered a lot of people because they were not planning to do anything wrong, but they got a curfew put on them. I think that just agitates the the folks who are out in the streets. And the fourth thing you said is, well, I actually want to follow up on that a little bit. Do you think that the police are provoking some of the conflict, or do you think the police don't really provoke it, they just need to handle it better? I think they, they need to be able to manage it. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that we have to use the tear gas and the rubber bullets. And I was really thrown back when they were talking about bringing in the National Guard, because as you know, uh, in 1968, when Lyndon Johnson brought in the, the, the National Guard, Uh, and earlier, it was to assist Dr. King so that he could have a peaceful protest and to protect him and the folks who were peacefully protesting. And then somewhere along the line after that, um, our streets became militarized when there were a lot of racial, um, 
you know, problems in the streets and they brought out the, the National Guard. And so to, to have that in my mind when the governor was talking about that last week, you know, it just kind of upset me a bit. And so I thought we got to do something different. We got to be better. We're, we're totally better than this. I, I got to ask one more thing because in a previous conversation, you taught me this number. I, I, it was not a number that shocked me. It was a number that appalled me. Mm-hmm. But you taught me this, and I got to give you a chance. You've been working on not only police reform, but the entire cycle of incarceration. And I want uh, you should give the fact rather than me giving it the <laughs> ratio of, of the black population in our city and state relative to the jail population in our city and state. Right. But but yeah, broaden this out just from the moment of. So let, so of let me just reform. tell you there. So let me tell you there are two percent African Americans in the entire state of Oregon. And then when you boil that down, the majority of us live in in Multnomah County, and it's 5.6% of um, the population. But we make up about 22% of the jail, black jail inmate population. And so when you talk about, I've been working on this issue for a while, I remember back in 2017, me and the ACLU teamed up and looked at the excessive force that was happening in our jails to black inmates. And it was like incredible. It was like four times the number of, of, um, of inmates in there that they were being treated very poorly. And I asked for an investigation and um, because it was wrong. So we have to take responsibility. When we see something, we need to call a thing a thing. And I did that back in 2017, 2016. And I, I worked with Sheriff Staten to try to make things better in Multnomah County. Um, and, and we did a couple of things to, to improve those numbers. Is this a moment that you are grateful for in some respect? I can't say grateful for. Is this a moment that it, you're feeling more energy around seizing on that set of issues? Or is it also keeping you from talking about some other stuff that you want to talk about? questions that I should be asking that aren't only about the cycle of racism in public safety, but is there anything that we're missing or that I'm missing while we're talking about these overlapping critical public health pandemics? Well, you, you need to also understand that, that Portland benefited greatly by the economic boom prior to the uh, pandemic. Um, but poverty, widespread poverty is an issue in Portland. And we need to be talking about how can we make sure that those folks who need to have permanent housing, how they're being housed. We need to talk about folks who are rent burdened. What can we do to help them? Uh, We also need to talk about an education. How do we educate our most vulnerable and who pays for that? Those are real questions. And then our most basic issues, people need to eat. And how do you not just survive, but how do you thrive in a city where you have 44,000 people moving into the city of Portland every year for the last five years? Uh, We have a a great place to live. The weather is great. We have nice activism. Um, We have a sustainable community and people like that. But there are a lot of people who are hurting. And, and those are the people that I'm going to be speaking up for. Those are the people that I'm going to kick down the doors of City Hall for to make sure that they have never, that they're never feeling like they don't have somebody who's going to be a voice for them. And that's what I'm looking forward to. I want us to reimagine 
what public safety looks like, reimagine what a new city hall can look like, because I'm excited about the thought that we could even have a majority minority um, city council. It, in, in every way, you know, and I, and I won't go to church on you, but when you look in the Bible, it says those of us who, the least of us will be first. And so if you look at this and now you're gonna see, it, there is a possibility. If I have anything to do about it, I'm gonna be working real hard so that I'm sitting there with Joanne Hardesty and I'm sitting there with uh, Carmen Rubio creating policies that are good for all our community. Because when we create policies for people of color, everybody benefits. Loretta, my name is Jefferson Smith, talking to Loretta Smith. Just by way of disclosure, we are not related uh, to our knowledge, but I want to say- You're my brother from another mother. <laughs> but <laughs> I take that as a high compliment. I want to say thank you so much for being so generous with time. I hope we can do this again in a few weeks when yes. it gets even closer to that August election. And we yes. can talk hopefully not only about- You should have me time. and Mingus on at the same time. All right. All right. That's what you we'll, we, we will be talking to him again soon, but we'll, we'll do this again. Thank you so much, okay. Loretta. Thanks, right. Jefferson. Bye-bye. Well Thanks to Dan Ryan and Loretta Smith for joining The Local. If you have story ideas, organizations who need shouts out, send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. Let's hang together while we're apart. Talk to you tomorrow. And thank you, democracy. X-Ray.